Hi everyone, welcome to Chord Chronicles, and well, week seven. I can't believe it. We've almost made it two whole months, and we've had a lot of good albums, we've had some really bad albums, and we've had some in-between albums, so I guess we've went the whole spectrum. I hope everyone has been safe out there and had a nice music-filled week. And Amy, how have you been? Oh, I'm good. Yep. About the same as always. Just enjoying listening to music as always. Well, I could say that. And I could also say some of these things haven't been that enjoyable. <laughs> that's a fair point. Actually, that's... Uh, some of these albums are a tale of two sides in some ways. Some of, Like this album I'm getting ready to start with is a tale of two sides in a way. This came out March we don't know when, of 1970, and I believe this is the first movie soundtrack that we've done. Mm -hmm. This is actually um, Zabriskie Point, and I've never seen the movie. I was going to try to watch it, but it's just been a really busy week. I've read the reviews, and I've actually read the synopsis, and it doesn't sound great, but it does sound pretty interesting because there's like a college protest, like protest going on, and then something st some stuff happens. I don't want to spoil, you know, a 50-year-old movie, guys. Spoiler <laughs> alert. But, um, it, I mean, it, the premise sounds pretty good, but, I mean, evidently it just wasn't very good. But uh, this is actually, a, the director was, I'm going to try to say it and get, do it justice, Michelangelo Antonioni. I believe that's how you say his name. And, actually, the soundtrack got better reviews than the movie. Mostly for the Pink Floyd content that's in this. So, some of this is good. And the Pink Floyd stuff, yeah, I would say it's pretty good. Which was actually surprising because this is when Pink Floyd was working on Umaguma. And I would consider that actually some of their weaker material. Some of their better stuff came just a little later. Not too much later, but, you know, this was like a transitioning time for them. You know, Pink Floyd was always trying for something new, though. But, um, I mean, have you, did you get a chance to check anything out about Zabriskie Point? No, I haven't had a chance to watch the movie yet, but it, like you, I did read the synopsis. It does sound kind of weird, but I do want to see it. And you've actually been to Zabriskie Point, haven't you? I have. You know, I made a point of going when I was in California last year. It's a very nice area. Were the protests going on? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not at that time. Maybe now. Hey, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to just get into it. I'm going to, you know, say the, the title of the song and then the artist because it, it's varied throughout the soundtrack. So I thought that would probably be the best way to go about this. This is our first soundtrack, so... If anyone out there has a better suggestion, just let us know. This first song, though, interesting title. I don't even probably have to tell you who this is. This is Heartbeat Pigmeat. Pink Floyd. You know, obviously. Um, I just put a few brief notes. I tried to keep my notes brief on this because there's quite a few songs. Uh, the drums at the beginning simulate a heartbeat, which is your heartbeat, you know. Uh, there's very faint vocals. I think it's audio from the movie, but I couldn't tell because it's turned pretty far down. 
It just happens every like every now and then. There's like, and I couldn't tell what they were saying, but there's something in that mix. I don't know what it is. It's really trippy, and this song it gave me a bit of like an uneasy feeling. I believe that was the point. So we haven't seen the movie, so I don't know when it plays. So you know that that would help a lot. You know if you could visually see what's going on, and then have the audio behind it for context. But you know we're going in blind, so that's just what I could tell. It gave me a bit of like an uneasy vibe. But what did you think about it? Almost exactly that. You know, it was just creepy music with people talking, and yeah, it made me feel a little bit anxious. But like you said, I think that's intentional, so I didn't ding them for that. Yeah, and like you said, soundtracks are meant to be an accompaniment to the visuals on the screen, so it is a little hard to review it without that. But you know, that's just what we have to do. Yep, that's how we have to go about it. And a lot of times, like this next band, I discover a new band that I'd never heard about and I never knew. And I like this band now. Uh, the song is Brother Mary and the artist is Kaleidoscope. And I did put, I put a little bit of brief notes of who Kaleidoscope is. This is from Wikipedia if you want to go look, ladies and gentlemen. I just ripped it directly from there. But um, Kaleidoscope was an American psychedelic psychedelic folk and ethnic band don't know but we know what that what that is really i don't know what they're saying about that but they recorded four albums and several singles for epic between 1966 and 70 so this is like the tail end of their career uh, but um the, the band membership has david lindley who has a bunch of solo albums and he won a bunch of um, a bunch of awards he's a session musician and the interesting member of this band that I waited to talk about, Chris Darrow, who performed in the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, which is a band that we're going to be talking about eventually. <laughs> we messed up a little bit on the date. I may have listened to that album already, but um, big fan, huge fan. My, yeah. my notes on this are brief, though. It, it's a very folksy feel, but it also has a bluesy vibe. It, it's interesting how they can weave the two. Uh, there's a nice banjo, violin, double bass work. I really like this one. And for me, this would be Playlist. But what did you think about it? I thought that the music on this one was really good. I was really impressed. You know, like I didn't know what to expect with this soundtrack. But so far, you know, I've, you know, I'm coming into it blind, but so far I'm pretty happy with it. I will add, though, on this one, the vocals sounded just a little bit off to me, but it wasn't terrible. Now, I really like the instrumentation in it more than the vocals, but the vocals are okay. But I actually, I want to go and check out Kaleidoscope just to see what else they have, because I like their sound. And maybe it's Kaleidoscope because, and with it being an ethnic band, maybe they have, uh, you know, multi-race in this band. Yeah. I don't know. That's cool. Yeah, I really like that. I really like integration. So, um, you know, I want to give these guys a shot. I mean, I'm going to go back and try to check out some more Kaleidoscope. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But we'll I think it probably out. would be good. Yeah, I, I, once again, this would probably be cool to see in the movie. Now that I've listened to these songs, and I probably will go back and watch the movie now, just so I can have a little bit of frame of reference. The next song, though, is Excerpt from Dark Star surprising to me 
this is actually Grateful Dead. Um, more Jerry Garcia than Grateful Dead, though. I really like the guitar work in the song. It's Jerry Garcia, tongue tied. Jerry Garcia playing guitar, but everything seemed to be off for some reason. The mix is terrible. I mean, it sounds like the instruments are fighting one another to catch your attention. For me, this could have been a good song, but it just like the mix made it really annoying. So I didn't know what. What did you think about it? I didn't pick up on that, but maybe we listened to different versions. I will say this one I couldn't find the full album anywhere, so I had to just you know piece it together from you know clips on YouTube. So maybe my version was just a little bit different. But for me, I thought it was really good. It was kind of just a standard 70s rock instrumental, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and my, the mix is what really hurt, hurt it for me. Because the guitar work is great, and he's doing a lot of stuff. But right in the middle of that, it's like the, the drums and the bass are trying to like overcome what he's putting out there. And it's just, I don't know. I think I got the original soundtrack. You might have gotten a better, you know, like a remastered or something like that, or right. who knows. There was I had to do this as well, mm-hmm. like to piece it together, like some of this stuff. And actually, I listened to like four or five different things. Like there's love scenes, music for love scenes that are like there's like six or different ones I think, and, and different artists perform them. So some of them didn't make this album. Uh, for example, uh, Jim Morrison from The Doors had a song. I don't remember the name of it, but he had a song, but the director didn't like it, so he didn't put it on the album, which mm-hmm. I'd be interested to hear what the song is. I think it was called L'America or something. Yeah, I, th- I believe so. I, 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 maybe maybe there is a recording somewhere of it. Maybe I, I, I'm going to try to check that out because, I mean, I want to see if it's not, you know... If it's not good enough to be on this soundtrack, I don't know. I'm a huge Doors fan, so we'll see. I mean, Jim Morrison didn't always have hits, so maybe not. But I'm going to keep going. The next song is Crumbling Land, and this is another Pink Floyd song. I wasn't a big fan of the vocals in this song. They just seemed kind of lackluster. The music wasn't bad, but this is more of a background music thing, but... Um, you know that's why it's perfect for a soundtrack you know I would have to once again see the movie to hear where this song comes in to truly judge it because for me this is this will be a filler track or background but it is background music for a soundtrack so there you go but what did you think about it I agree about it and most of the album actually sounding like background music and I had to try to keep remembering that because it is supposed to be that but that's not what we're used to. Uh, I thought that the song was pretty good. Not as good as their later stuff. Um, but good, just a little common for Pink Floyd. It's not as special or as unique as what I expect from them. At least not until the very end of it. It got a little weird at the end. Pink Floyd always got to get a little weird at the end. <laughs> Now the next song, like I said, there's been some good, and there's been some bad. This is Tennessee Waltz by Patti Page. I know this is a classic song. 
But wow, this is dreary. It's absolutely dreadful. Like, I skipped it. Like, I know. Classic song. Respect it. Whatever. I'm sorry. I don't respect it. I thought it was terrible. And I just don't... I, I will never listen to Tennessee Waltz by Patty Page again. What did you think about it? You loved it, didn't you? I didn't love it. I liked it, though. I know the song already. This isn't the version that I'm most familiar with. The one I know better is more country. I think it's maybe Anne Murray. But this one sounded pretty similar, just not as twangy, I guess. But I did like it. I didn't. And, and I like bluegrass and some stuff, you know, <laughs> probably would be too twangy for you. And I actually really like it, but I don't know. This one was just, ugh. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next song, Sugar Babe, The Young Bloods. Now, The Young Bloods are more known for like rock, so this was a big surprise for me. At least for me, I, like I've known the Young Bloods for their rock stuff, but this is country, complete with harmonica. It's not bad. I mean, I can hear this like, like say in a country western bar, something like that. It, I, I mean, I liked it. What did you think about it? I was surprised too. I didn't expect it to be so country. Like you said, it's not bad. I did feel like it was a little weak in the context of the album, but yeah, definitely not bad. Yeah, it was interesting to hear the Youngbloods uh, doing a little country vibe. Not bad. Mm -hmm. uh, now the next song, like I said, this is where this is where I had I listened to like six different versions of different artists doing this stuff. This is Jerry Garcia's version of Love Scene. Alright, all this is is just basically Jerry Garcia doing a little guitar work. It's really good, but I don't see myself listening to it other than having it on the background. I do see this as being excellent music to have in a movie. Like, I really liked it, but it's not something I'm going to put on and just sit and just listen to it. It's like seven and a half minutes long, so we're keeping it PG, ladies and gentlemen, but... Uh, Seven-minute love scene in a movie. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know how PG that movie is. Is a risky point. So I guess we'll see. But what do you think about it? Well, based on the cover of the soundtrack, I'm guessing not PG. Because yeah, <laughs> <Excuse> there's <laughs> naked people on the soundtrack. Um, I thought the song was pretty good. His guitar work was really, really excellent which is kind of Jerry Garcia's thing. I know some of the other ones that were released were just him improvising on this, and I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that's what this version was as well, because that is what Jerry Garcia likes to do. I did feel like it was a little bit longer than necessary because it didn't really change very much throughout, and seven plus minutes is a really long time for me to listen to basically the same thing repeated. But again, like you said, it's background music for a movie, so it kind of works <laughs> in that context. Uh, so, yeah, I did like the end where it, all of a sudden it kind of got dark, and that made it more interesting to me. <laughs> but it does make me wonder about the love scene a little. I just had an interesting visual <laughs> of the love scene going on, and Jerry Garcia just sitting in the back in the corner playing guitar. <laughs> I'm just trying to jam, man. I'm just trying to jam. Just keep going, guys. That I'm is a little jam. dark. And then it gets dark. 
Uh, now the next song, I put a little bit of information about this artist as well. Uh, the song is I Wish I Was a Single Girl Again. This is Roscoe Holcomb. Um, Roscoe Holcomb was an American singer, banjo player, and guitarist from Daisy, Kentucky. And he's a prominent figure in Appalachian folk music. So, if, I don't know if anyone knows anything about Appalachian folk music. Like, the vocals aren't great. It's just, it's just a certain style. It's, it's from the mountains. It's from Appalachia. And if you don't know those people or the culture or that sound, then you may not like it. But it's probably not for everyone. But it did bring a sense of nostalgia to me. Of course, you know, Amy and I have family that were from the Appalachian Mountains in Eastern Kentucky. Not real far in, but they were from the, <laughs> the mountains and the hollers. So they kind of brought it like a, a nostalgia vibe for me. But what did you think about it? I felt the same way. You know, I, I wrote a little bit about the song. It was very nasal and piercing and did kind of hurt my ears. It's not unknown to me, but I did make a note of that. I don't care for that. But his banjo work was good. But I also made a note about the artist. I liked reading about him and learning about him because he was a coal miner just like my ancestors. He had lung issues from it, just like my ancestors. I felt like I could have been related to this man. So, I didn't let it affect my review, but it did make me feel connected. Yeah, it, it, it was weird. But that, that's just our bias because of our history. So, right. you're always going to have that. You know, anytime you go into something like this. But... I don't know. It, it's not for everyone, and like I said, the, the lyrical style isn't. It's not. It's the emotion of it. it. It's not, you know, wow, he's a great singer. It's the emotion that he's bringing to it. Yeah. It's from his soul, and that's what it's about. And that that's why I judge it as far as that goes. And I thought his yeah his banjo work was pretty good. So. You know, Roscoe Holcomb, I may want to check more out about him, just maybe just read about him. I don't even know where Daisy, Kentucky is, but I'm going to have to find out. I'm sure it's probably Eastern Kentucky. It's not far from Harlan. Yeah. Well, there you go. See? <laughs> yeah, he's probably, you know, I need to look at our family tree. We might be related to some Holcomb. <laughs> I you looked him know. up. Yeah, he's from outside of Hazard. <laughs> so there you go. I don't know. The next song is um, Mickey's Tune, and this is Kaleidoscope again. This one has a strong country sound. There's nothing wrong with that. I really like how the violin was in my left ear, and the guitar was in my left. And all while the bass and drums were in the center. So basically what I'm saying is the production on this was really good. Yeah, there's no vocals. This is instrumental. But it's still a solid track. If you're not into instrumentals, you may not, you know, really like it or whatever but it is for once again a soundtrack background music so it doesn't really doesn't need lyrics in it so with that alone I tried not to judge against these songs because you're gonna have instrumentals for the most part in a movie soundtrack but what did you think about it I liked it too I thought that the fiddle in particular was really good you know, I love that instrument anyway 
and this was short, but it was fiddle heavy, and I thought that was just particularly good, so I really enjoyed it. Our next song, Dance of Death, is John Fahey. I put a little notes about John Fahey because I'd never heard about him either. He's an American finger-style guitarist and composer who played steel string acoustic guitar as a solo instrument. And he's really influential on um, a lot of different art artists. Um, he's the foundation of American primitive guitar. It's uh, self-taught nature of music. It's minimalistic style. It's a lot of the folk stuff is what it is. And, and I put my notes were really brief on this one. Uh, that's exactly what it is. It's maybe good for background in a movie, but it's not something I would really listen to again. It's like someone just playing around on an acoustic guitar. He's probably improvising, but not as good as Jerry Garcia. So, I mean, maybe he's the father of American Finger Style Guitar, but maybe I don't like the American Finger Style Guitar <laughs> as well as I did Jerry Garcia playing some guitar. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know the different styles a lot of times, you know. I know some, but what did you think about it? Very similar to what you said, you know, I thought that it was good, but for me it seemed a little repetitive for a short song. Yeah. The soundtrack version was less than three minutes long, but it was just the same few notes over and over and it felt like, and I understand that works for a soundtrack, but on its own it doesn't. I don't know. I don't want to see him dance with death for that long. I don't know. <laughs> not, not much longer than three minutes. We'll just, I'm just going to say that. <laughs> now the final song, uh, like I said, other than the, the, the 700 other songs that I listened to before I found it exactly was on this soundtrack, <laughs> but is Come In 51, Your Time Is Up. And it's another Pink Floyd song. It, it was interesting to me, Come In 51. I wonder where they got the number 51 from. Area 51? I don't believe. I don't believe that was known in the 70s. I don't think. Just random come in 51. But um, it's a very atmospheric feel to start. And there's trippy vocals. They pan back and forth. Left to right. It, it was uh, definitely conceived after generous doses of LSD. <laughs> I, I mean, you can just go ahead and put it out there. That's no secret. There was probably pink uh, pigs flying in this concert. <laughs> uh, you know, things pick up halfway through with a scream in the background. It was really unsettling. And, and that's my only notes on it. But I thought it was a pretty good track, especially for what it is. And I think it's gonna go, it would go well in a movie. But what did you think about it? Yeah, it was super creepy. Yeah, the music was eerie and it had these weird whispery voices. And yeah, honestly, it may give me nightmares, <laughs> but I'm not saying that that's a bad thing because, again, I think that that was intentional, you know, especially you know, after the midpoint when it just had this screaming. <laughs> so I actually give it points for accomplishing what it set out to accomplish, I'm assuming. It's not really yeah. my cup of tea, but it's not bad. and. For what I think it is, I think it's good. Yeah, I mean, it's not a terrible soundtrack. 
like the songs that are on this soundtrack there there's some weaker ones I'm not gonna say they're bad but they are weaker and for that alone I had to drop it down a little bit but this is about a three star for me what did you give it I gave it three as well yeah I don't normally just sit and listen to soundtrack music anyway without the the movie itself so that's not what it's for but as far as soundtrack music goes it was okay Yep, I mean, it's, I guess, all, all I can say about it is, you know, it's soundtrack music, so. <laughs> Next! <laughs> We're going to get into something a little more exciting. And this came out March 27, 1970. This is Alice Cooper, Easy Action. And this is actually their second studio album. I say there because originally Alice Cooper was the band. It wasn't, oh, I, I had his name. Vincent Farnier. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love that name too. Yep. <laughs> I love Alice Cooper. I think he's hilarious. I love him. I think he's 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 great. I mean, all of his stuff now, you know, in this day and age, he's he's funny, and he's really intelligent, and he's a heck of a golfer, from what I've heard. <laughs> it sounds interesting. But um, the title of this album actually comes from the band's favorite movie, West Side Story. Which was weird. <laughs> you think <laughs> Alice Cooper? I don't. I don't think West Side Story. But once again, he, he is very intelligent. He's probably into things like that. You know, of course. Now this is uh, psychedelic rock, hard rock, and some say maybe garage rock. Some of it. I don't know about that. But I will agree with the psychedelic and hard rock aspects of this, and some pop. <laughs> as well which they didn't put on there but uh, you know, this, <laughs> Definitely. It, there's some pop in this album which was weird but I'm gonna get into it um, the first song Mr. and Misdemeanor love the title very clever I really like the grit and grime that he added to his vocals and of course it's Alice Cooper I mean Vincent Fernier and that's his trademark it gives the music like that extra edge that it needs uh, not the greatest production in this song, but I still considered it a good song, a good track, and a really strong start. I like the song. What did you think about it? Overall, I thought it was just so-so, but the music was pretty solid, and you know, like you said, I did enjoy the title. That is, it is clever. Now, the next song, Shoe Salesman. <laughs> Now, this sounds I put this sounds older. I don't hate it, but it lacks the energy of the first track. The guitar work was still really fun, but it was odd to me because it was so poppy. Like like I don't know, it's hard to describe unless you just listen to it. Especially to go from Mr. and Mrs. Demeanor to this was really odd because the first song was a little gritty and grimy, and then this song was more polished and I don't want to say barbershop quartet, but you know, like that kind of poppy, that kind of vibe. But what do you think about it? It was definitely different. It sounds like the Beatles, to be perfectly honest. It is lighter and softer than the first song. I thought it was a pretty good song, but it definitely is not what I was expecting from Alice Cooper. So it did throw me off. And the next song, Still No Air. 
I didn't actually put a lot of notes on this one. It was kind of filler for me. It was interesting. It was fun. The vocals were a little odd, though. There was something about it. I don't know what it was, but the vocals were odd. But what did you think about it? Yeah, I agree. To me, it seemed like it was kind of weird just for the sake of being weird. Which is kind of unimpressive. Like, be weird because you want to be, not just because you think you're supposed to be. And stylistically, it was kind of somewhere in between the first two. So, at this point, I still felt like the they didn't really know where they were going. Yeah, I don't know. This one, like I said, it's kind of filler. But the, the vocals being odd, just, eh, I don't know. I probably wouldn't listen to this one again. Now, the last song on side one is Below Your Means. And this one has a really strong psychedelic feel. I really like the extended instrumental sections in this track. And their instruments seem to be tuned down a little more than the other bands we've been listening to lately. I may be mistaken about that, but I could put this song in the background and just let it go. I was, you know, I really like this one. This one actually would be, of the four songs we've listened to, I put playlists on this one. But what did you think about it? It, it did have some psychedelia in it, but it was like a, it also had that Britpop sound to it to me, so it was like a psychedelic version of British pop music. The first half was a little bit blah, but like you said, the second half was basically instrumental and the music in that part was really good. I like that part. And we go into side two, and the first song is Return of the Spiders. And I really like the energy this track started with. The gritty vocals are back and I liked it. Uh, there's a strong bass line and some really fun guitar work. And this song just screams 70s rock to me. Yeah, I really like it. And this one's playlist for me as well. And I believe this was one of the singles off the album. But what did you think about it? I think you're right about it being one of the singles. I did like the beat, but I actually didn't care for the vocals. To me, it sounded like he was trying too hard and he was just straining. So I didn't care for that. But, you know, I did like the music. So... Maybe Make of that what you will. Spiders. <laughs> well, maybe he was scared of the spiders. Well, I can't blame him there. I, uh, it's interesting. Like this, the title of this one actually sounds like a uh, system of a down. <laughs> <laughs> I think they have spiders, and this would be Return to the Spiders. But anyway, off topic. <laughs> the next song, Laughing at Me. Not a fan of the vocal harmonies in this track. For me, you know, the instrumentation was still strong. Um, this one was a filler track for me, though. Fun side note, though. I could hear the band Ghost doing a cover of this song. <laughs> I don't know what it was about it. I think they could do a cover of this song and do it justice. But I wasn't a fan of the vocal harmonies at all in this song. But what did you think about it? I can, I can kind of hear what you mean about Ghost. Because they have that, I don't want to say poppy, but listener-friendly sound. And this was a very catchy song. It's another lighter one. I actually really enjoyed it. For me, this was the best one so far. I think Ghost could really do a good cover of that one. 
Everyone, someone get a hold, get a hold of uh, Tobias <laughs> Forge right now. This is his next tr covered song. <laughs> no, but um, they put on a heck of a concert. But the next um, song is Refrigerator Heaven. This track starts with wind. I've noticed they like people like to use wind in the, the beginning of their songs a lot of times. This is like the fifth or sixth album that's, that we've listened to that's had a song that has some, some type of wind sound or actual wind in it. I don't know. I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought it was a crowd at first. It actually sounds more like a crowd, but it's wind. But I like the vocal effects they use in this track. Uh, it's maybe a flange on those vocals. I don't know what it is. But they've got him tuned a little differently. But it's a fun song. I like this one. What did you think about it? I had the same thought when it started. I thought, is that crowd noise? Is this a live performance? But no, as it went on, it became clear that it was just wind. I like the music. I felt like the vocals on this one were so-so for me. And the lyrics themselves, I wasn't a fan. It came across like they thought they were being deep and profound, but really it didn't quite get there. <laughs> it was just weird. I think they were just experimenting a little bit in this track. I don't know. Um, it, it was okay. I, I, more than anything, I like the, the effect on the vocals. Especially uh, after the last track, because I didn't really like those vocal harmonies that they used. So maybe that helped me out a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. But um, for the next song, Beautiful Flyaway. This one doesn't fit. It sounds totally different. Much more poppy. It's not bad. But I don't like it here. I just don't like it here. In, in the middle of all this, and just like the, the song on side one. If, if they want to put out a pop album, they're pretty good at it. I mean, do do one side pop and then make the dark side the other side or something, you know, and then do the grit and grime. I don't know. That would have been interesting. Just <laughs> armchair quarterbacking it here, I guess, 50 years later. But I don't know. It just was, ah, it just didn't fit. So I had to dock them a little points on it. But what did you think about it? It was super poppy. Like, this isn't even a rock song. It is a pop song. I thought that it was a good song, but like you said, it doesn't really seem to fit. But I did make a note, it changes a lot throughout the song. Like, I would almost call it a suite if it were more than three minutes long. I like the piano that they had at the end, but at the very end there was some feedback. That wasn't good. <laughs> Didn't like that at all. Maybe it was progressive music for people with ADD. <laughs> That's why it's only like three minutes. <laughs> I can um, get behind that. Yeah, there you go. Well, the next song, I think it's the last song on the album. Yep. And it's Lay Down and Die Goodbye. Interesting title. <laughs> this one's a little longer. So I did note it's seven minutes and 36 seconds. And... This one has another, it has that heavy psychedelic feel, influenced by the 60s for sure. Now this could have been written by Frank Zappa, who actually signed out this, the band Alice Cooper to his label. <laughs> and no one would sign Alice Cooper, Frank Zappa actually signed them to the label. So thank you Frank Zappa. But this song is mostly instrumental, let me see, 
until about 7 minutes of the 7.36. It's rambling. It's okay. But I probably won't listen to it again. What did you think about it? It was very experimental. A little creepy sounding. Honestly, it's more what I expected from Alice Cooper. But I noted the opening of it was really strange. It turns out it was audio from Tommy Smothers. But it hmm. they had some sort of effect on it. It sounded almost like a PA announcement underwater. It was, had sort of a watery sound to it. It was weird. It unfortunately just wasn't very good. It was Zappa influenced. I really think it was. I don't I'm know. sure. I think this is a transition album for the band. I think they were trying to get away from the poppy sound. They were trying some stuff. Wanted to get that scary, sinister vibe. And I'm interested to see where they're going. I mean, we know what Alice Cooper became, so we know it's gonna ha- it's gonna get better and better. But right now, for me, this is about a three star. But what did you give it? I gave it two and a half. I'm not stingy. <laughs> I just Man. I feel like it was a little worse than mediocre, and you know, three is my you know, my mediocre. You know, I do like Alice Cooper, and I was interested to hear this, but his later stuff, their later stuff, definitely is better, and I'll probably stick to that in the future. You're going to make Vincent's mascara run from that two and a half you just gave him? Nah, I think he'd agree with me. Yeah, he might, actually. I don't believe he's performed many of those songs in concert <laughs> since the album came out, from what I could tell. So... Oh, but the next album we're getting ready to... Well, the next album we're getting ready to talk about... Oh my goodness, something I wasn't aware of. I'm aware of the members of this band individually, but I am not aware... Was not aware they were in a band together. This came out March 27th, 1970 as well. This is Faces, sometimes called Small Faces, First Step. This is the debut album... It's considered rock and R&B. <laughs> Rod Stewart is the lead vocalist on most of the songs. Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones plays guitars on this. Guitars, I said, yes, he plays multiple different styles. And Kenny Jones from The Who. And I didn't, um, I didn't really know much about Kenny Jones as far as The Who. We had to look it up, actually. I always forget Keith Moon's name for some odd reason. But evidently, Kenny Jones actually did play in The Who as well. So you have someone, you have Rod Stewart, you have someone from the Rolling Stones, and then someone from that played with The Who. All in one band. So I was already, when I started researching it, before I even listened to stuff, like, oh my goodness. Am I setting myself up for a big you know, disappointment? But um, I guess we'll see. I don't want to spoil it yet. <laughs> but um, the first song, actually, no. Have you, did you know anything about Faces? Have you have you heard? Yeah, I was you know, slightly familiar. I don't know a ton of their music, but I did know, you know some of who was in the band. I knew it was Rod Stewart. I didn't know about the connection to the Who until you mentioned that. So that's really interesting. But I kind of knew a little bit of what to expect. I knew to expect Rod Stewart's voice. That's the big thing. Yeah, when they let him sing. <clears throat> anyway, we're going to start with the first song because that's how we start. <laughs> um, that's Wicked Messenger. 
And this is a Bob Dylan song, actually. So, yee! Rod Stewart does that, too. Everyone check it out. No, actually. Huge fan of Rod Stewart. I really like the bluesy feel with the organ. And the guitar is really sick in this song. It's a really strong start. Playlist. First song, playlist. What did you think about it? Yeah, I didn't write a whole lot about this song. But what I wrote was just... I am impressed by the music here. It is good. Yeah, it's great, actually. I think. <laughs> right. The next song, Devotion, and by the title I should have known, but it almost sounds hymnal, if I if I believe using that word correctly, like church music, in a way. But Devotion, um, very subdued. It's a lot slower than the first song. It's still a really good track, but and, and from what I could tell when I was looking at um, the other vocalist, I can't remember his name right now, it slipped out of my mind, but he liked to do a lot of um, hymnal music, like church music as well, he wrote. So maybe that's maybe he wrote this song, I don't know. But what did you think about it? Yeah, like you said, it was slower more of a softer song than the previous one. I liked it. I thought it was good. It actually reminded me of something that would have been you know, by Rod Stewart as a solo artist, just with a little more distortion, slightly heavier percussion. No, Rod Stewart likes to mosh dance and jam. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Rod Stewart. The next song Shake, shudder, shiver. Try saying that four times fast. I like everything about this song. The duet is really nice. I was surprised by it because I didn't expect Rod Stewart to be singing alongside someone else. Not used to that, but I liked it. Uh, the instrumentation is great. I mean, every song on here, these are great musicians. So, you know, the only thing that could hold it back would be production. And actually, the production is top-notch. So this is playlist in the best kind of way. What did you think about it? To me, it just... This is 70s rock. This is what it's supposed to sound like. This is it. It was good. I like the organ in it, especially. Yeah, I agree. It was really good. Alright, and the next song, Stone. And I, did ha I do have the other vocalists on here. I made a note. <laughs> Ronnie Lane is actually lead vocals on this song. It's banjo, harmonica, and it, it has a bluesy vibe. Folksy. It's once again, it has that bluesy, folksy kind of feel. It's good. But Rod Stewart is definitely a better vocalist. Sorry, Ronnie Lane. That's probably why Rod Stewart is solo and had such a career, and we don't know about Ronnie Lane. Don't know that. Don't know the history. But what did you think about it? It was pretty different from the other songs. Yeah, to me, it had a little bit of a bluegrass feel with the harmonica and the banjo, both of which were being played by Rod Stewart, by the way. It's funny, I also made a note of the vocals being Robbie Lane. The, the lyrics were almost Bob Dylan style as well. And it kind of had a jam session feel. There was some clapping near the end. It was just sort of a feel-good song. It was pretty good, even though it wouldn't normally be my pick for music. 
but I did like it. You know, it was well done, I thought. And I was impressed by Rod Stewart's harmonica and banjo. Ronnie Lane actually is known actually more for bass guitar. And he was nick I just looked it up just to, you know, <laughs> to see, uh, just to do him justice. His nickname was Plonk, which makes sense. I like it. <laughs> but he, but yeah, he's 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 not a vocalist more. Than, you know, that's that's, you know, Rod Stewart is a better vocalist because that's what he does more. So. It's not bad, but it's okay. It's just different. The, the last song on side one is Around the Plinth. I don't know what plinth is. I need to look that up. Do you know? Um, I like imagine it's some, it... Some kind of circumference or something? <laughs> I imagine it, and maybe I'm totally wrong, but I think it's like a... I can't think of the word. Almost like a little platform. Like a pyre, but with a fire. <laughs> But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm totally wrong. But I imagine it like, like the platform that a statue would be on, for example. <laughs> it's a archaic. The way they spelled it with a Y is an archaic spelling of plinth. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. It's archaic. That's what it means. No. Uh, yeah, it's a block or slab upon which a column, pedestal, statue, or other structure is based. Okay. So. Good. I'm glad I was right. I didn't make a fool of myself. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, this one was odd. It had an odd sound for some reason. It seriously sounds like the vinyl's warped. <laughs> the, the the copy that I listened to. And this is the only song on side one that I just couldn't deal with. What did you think about it? I actually liked it. It was faster than the others. Almost a little bit frenetic sounding. There was a lot of slide on the guitar. And it actually reminded me of stuff that came later. It reminded me of the song Lonely is the Night by Billy Squire, and even a little bit of Cage the Elephant, which came even even later than Billy Squire, which was from 1981. So I kind of feel like it was ahead of its time. I don't know, and I may have just had a good, you know, not a good copy of the song to listen to. Maybe I did get a warped vinyl you know rip <laughs> of it who knows a lot of times i you know i don't I, I don't necessarily get these off spotify i try but a lot of times you have to be careful because they're remastered mm -hmm. so i have to go to youtube to find a lot of this stuff and you never know what you're going to get with youtube but for me yeah it was it was not a enjo an enjoyable experience i'll say that but um now side two the first song flying I really like how the guitar and organ meld together, along with Rod Stewart's voice. They just all meld together to make this some, something beautiful. And it, it gives the bluesy sound that I love. And the drummer actually holds his own in this song, too. So, I guess this maybe this is his audition song, <laughs> audition for The Who? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I haven't mentioned him a whole lot in this. He hasn't been that prominent, but this track, he actually shows up a little bit more. And I really like the soulful vibe the song brings. And he made that guitar sing in this song. And it's a great way to start, like side two. This one's playlist as well. If you're noticing a trend here, there's quite a few playlist songs on this album. What did you think about it? To me, I thought it sounded really melancholy. Uh, I know that this was the single off of this album. 
to me, I was a little surprised by that. Because while there were definitely some good things about it, to me it didn't seem as interesting or attention-getting as the rest of the album. The next song is actually an instrumental. And normally that would be like, oh, instrumental. I like instrumentals, but I listen to a lot of music now. I want some vocals. <laughs> <laughs> this one has an interesting title, though. Pineapple and the Monkey. Not much you can say about it, other than it's a really great instrumental track. It's one I'll listen to again. And that's saying a lot, because, like I said, I don't listen to instrumentals a whole lot, if I'm being honest with you. I like vocals. Even if they're sparse, I have to have a little bit of vocal in it most of the time. But this song's great, and this one's Playlist. What did you think about it? I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Maybe not as much as you. I didn't feel like it was that special, but I did like it. Well, I really like pineapple. And I really like monkeys. <laughs> I like monkeys. <laughs> yeah, so, there you go. So you should have, you should be, it should be playlist for you because you like monkeys. There we go. Stingy. Stingy, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> not stingy. Now, the next song, Looking Out the Window, it's another duet. And I think their voices work well together. Like Rod Stewart when he solos, great. Um, when they're doing a duet, it's great. Otherwise, it's okay. But this song, once again, it's soulful, it's bluesy. Just a really great song. And the slide on the guitar is perfect. The drums come through. And the production on this album, for me, has been near Crosby Stills' Nash & Young quality. So, and what I was, if I remember correctly, the same producer may have went on to produce some Blue Oyster Cold and stuff like that as well. So, and I may be wrong about that, but I believe that's correct, and they, I like a lot of their production too. So, I don't know, but I like, I really like the production on this song, and the, uh, this one was playlist as well. So, three songs on side two, three playlist songs for me. What did you think about it? I liked it. I really liked the guitar in this one. I did feel like it was, what I always say, maybe just a little bit long. No, I liked it a little better than Pineapple and the Monkey. Just personal preference. I like the musical style of this one a little bit better. Now, the final song on the album, Three Button Hand Me Down. My notes are brief on it, but oh my goodness, I love the tone on that bass. I believe this is, um, I, I've lost his name again, John. <laughs> um, I believe he's playing bass on this, and he's, he's a good bassist. I was worried they were going to let me down after the last three songs, being so good, but no worries here. This is bluesy, but it's a little faster. And all that's missing here in this song is a little bit of barrel house piano, we talked about before, because this is sped up dancey blues music, and this song would really be going. But that being said, wow, what a great way to end a classic, very underrated album, in my opinion. What did you think about it? It was probably my favorite on the album. Yeah, the bass was definitely more prominent, and that always gets my attention, because it is an instrument that's in the background a little more often than the others. It was bluesier, and really catchy, especially you know, the bass, and it had a really nice beat, and... Rod Stewart's lyrics just had a really nice cadence to them. I really enjoyed this song. Oh yeah, this uh, 
this was a pleasant surprise for me. Like I said before, I didn't know, you know, Rod Stewart was in a band with a guitarist from the Rolling Stones and a drummer from the Who. So this is a four and a half star album for me. But what did you give it? I only gave it three and a half. I liked it, but I wasn't in love with it. I am not stingy. I am honest <laughs> and fair. <laughs> I just like music more. Except for the next track we're getting ready to talk about. The next album we're getting ready to talk about. But I've been waiting all week for some type of explanation. Because <laughs> <laughs> this album also came out March 27th, 1970. And this is Ringo Starr, Sentimental Journey. This is Ringo's debut album, released just as the Beatles were breaking up. Sad, sad day for Ringo, I'm sure. Traditional pop and jazz, and actually, side note here, ladies and gentlemen, this one came out in the U.S. the 24th of April, 1970, and we, we just overlooked it. This was the UK release, March 27, 1970. And oh, before I even start, debut album, guys, and all these songs are covers. So, have you ever listened to Ringo Starr's Sentimental Journey solo album before, Amy? No, not this album. Obviously. I love the Beatles. I love Ringo. He's probably my favorite member. But no, I hadn't heard this album. I've heard some of his stuff, but not this. Well, I'm gonna, you know, just get right into it. And I don't hate Ringo. I actually really like Ringo. But this actually gave me a little bit of tarnish for him. <laughs> so, but I'm gonna go ahead and start. Like I said, all these songs are old songs. They're old covers. And the first song, Sentimental Journey, title track. I mean... I guess this is alright, but that's just it. It's okay. What did you think about it? I thought that the music was catchy. The thing about it is, while I love Ringo, he doesn't have the best voice in the world for this kind of music. You know, he has a fun voice, not really a sweet, pretty crooner type of voice. So, that kind of causes problems sometimes. Yeah. I th uh, I'm going to hold back that comment because I think I actually did write, write it down on here. If not, I'll come back to it. Hopefully. <laughs> um, the next song, Night and Day. I really like the big band sound. I just don't think his voice... It's funny you said what you just said. <laughs> I don't think his voice is strong enough to carry a big band sound. And it's okay. I actually like this one. Uh, the original, because I went and listened to the original to this. I like the original better. But what did you think about it? I think it's a great song. You know, I love the music. I love the style of it. I like Cole Porter, who did the original. You know, the same thing goes for it. And it's not that Ringo's voice is bad. It's not. I just don't feel like he has the right kind of voice for this music. But it's not terrible. Yeah, and I, I did enjoy the song. It's okay. It's not bad. It's just okay. Two songs? 
they're okay. <laughs> now the next song, Whispering Grass, Don't Tell the Trees. Not a bad cover, but once again, it's just okay. I just feel like this is a lazy attempt. There, here's my comment. I feel like it's a lazy attempt to release a solo album because the other guys were releasing it. I think he felt pressured. I really do. And maybe internally he felt like he needed to put something out to prove something. Because he's a member of the Beatles too. And you know what? I think George Harrison already had put something out. And I believe Paul McCartney may have already put something out or he was working on No, he's working on something. And it was great. So I think a lot of that was from, you know, and he didn't have a lot of original material yet. Ringo didn't maybe. And he and he's just like, oh, maybe I'll just do some covers. And I have a good voice, so you know, everyone likes these songs, like Cole Porter, yeah, you know, maybe not, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like a solo album should be mostly original material, one or two covers, and that's my huge gripe, and he gets very, very, very bad marks for that, from me, and I like Ringo, <laughs> so, but what did you think about it? I didn't feel like this song was as good as the first two. Which I did really enjoy. I don't want to give the impression that I didn't. I enjoyed listening to them and they made me dance around the room. This one wasn't quite as good as that. I get what you're saying about the pressure. I don't mind that it's an album of covers because I like the idea of covers. Although most people do them very badly. <laughs> I like them when they're done well. You know, so that doesn't bother me. But you might be right about him feeling pressured. I really think that's what it is. And I mean, Ringo's a nice, everything I've read, he's a nice guy. And I don't think it, you know, it was any malice. I think he just felt like he had to prove something, maybe. Because the other guys were doing something as well. And, if, you know, maybe he's just like, oh, I gotta get something out. <laughs> I don't know that he was necessarily, his heart was in some of these songs. Maybe I'm totally wrong. But there's two or three on here I just... I don't know. I don't think he really felt the vibe, so to speak. As the kids say, he wasn't vibing with it. <laughs> the next You're too song, old to say that. Bye Bye. Well, there you go. No, I hear it every day. I hear <laughs> it every day from my quarantine angel. So I officially can hear it. I can say it now. <laughs> the, the next song, Bye Bye Blackbird. It's a really old song, and it shows. Mostly banjo, piano with some vocals. It's not bad, but it's nothing special. Once again, you'll notice the theme. It's okay. What did you think about it? I agree that this one was mediocre. The song itself is more of a fun song, like I would expect from Ringo Starr, but it isn't as good as his later stuff. It did build toward the end. That part was better. But, yeah, this one was a little... I don't want to say disappointing, but I'm going to. But I did make a note, the arrangement on this one was done by Maurice Gibb. So, some of the credit or blame, whichever way you want to look at it, is on him as well. Yeah. Well, the next song, I didn't look to see who I could blame for this one. <laughs> it's I'm a Fool to Care. And all I put was Z, 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 Z. I skipped it. I, I, I made it through the first four songs, 
but this one I couldn't. What did you think about it? It is slower and sadder, and yeah, I would have preferred more upbeat music. It wasn't bad, but I definitely get what you're saying. It was arranged by a famous artist and musician, by the way, Klaus Vorman. Klaus, shame on you. <laughs> Not gonna make that other comment. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the other show. Okay, um, now actually, the last song on side one, Stardust, it's probably the best song on the album so far for me. It was arranged by Paul McCartney, so that may have had been something to do with it. And I've already said it once again. A debut album shouldn't be all covers. I'm fine with a cover album, but not your debut album. So, but what did you think about this song? To me, it was a song that's just easy. Yep. It still doesn't really fit Ringo's voice, but it wasn't bad. It was fun. I liked the part where everybody really got into it, you know, closer to the end. That's kind of what I love about this style of music, so I did really enjoy that. Now, side two starts with blue turning gray over you. Gray with your E, because this is from Britain. <laughs> I always like to notice the differences when it's color with the OU or gray with the E. I don't know, just little differences. This is a classic jazz song, but I'm just not feeling it. I don't like his vocals in it. It didn't fit for me. But what did you think about it? It's funny you should say that, because my comment is this one fits Ringo a little better than some of the others, although it's still not what he does best. But I really like the music on this one. It was more energetic than some of the others. So I don't think it's the best on the album, but I did like it. I think it's one of the better ones on the album. Now the next song, Love is a Many Splintered Thing. Splintered with OU. <laughs> um, the vocal harmonies really helped this song. And the only interesting thing about this for me was that Quincy Jones arranged it. Which was really interesting to me. <laughs> I didn't know their, their paths had crossed like that. But once again, it's okay. What do you think about it? Yeah, this one was a filler track. It's not the best song on the album. It's not the best version of this song. So, this one is just okay. The next song, Dream. <laughs> wow, this song makes me really want to go dream. <laughs> My dog was sitting listening to it with me. <laughs> he sighed when it came on. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> this it was boring like this one was boring and I skipped it what did you think about it it was very subdued and not my favorite for that reason it was the kind of song that just kind of fades into the background and allows me to zone out like you said it's okay musically it just it did feel like a filler to me but you know I know from reading after I finished listening that some of the critics thought this was one of the best on the album so I guess it's just a style preference. I guess those critics don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> That's what it is. 
<laughs> that means everyone needs to come to us for musical advice because the critics don't know S. Obviously. And I said S. I kept it. I saved it. I, I, I just used the S. So, uh, the next song, You Always Hurt the One You Love. I've heard Fats Domino do this song. It had a lot more energy. <sighs> this one just lacks in the vocals. It's just lackluster. I mean... I mean, it was the best music on side two for me so far, musically. Uh, it's, it's it's just okay. What did you think about it? It was more fun and upbeat than the other ones that we've heard so far on this side. And I did really enjoy the jazzy horns in it. That's all I wrote about it, actually. The next song, Have I Told You Lately That I Love You. It's okay. <laughs> well, I, I, I was going to just delegate this one to you. What do you think about it? <laughs> well, first, it is not the same as the Rod Stewart song, which is what no, I was expecting, it's, but it's not. <laughs> it's not. Oh, no, it is definitely not. <laughs> it was another one that was a little more fun, though. The music was really dynamic, so I like that. But I will admit his vocals were not as dynamic as the music was. I wish they were, but they weren't. But it wasn't bad. Now the final sound, sound, <laughs> song on the album. Let the rest of the world go by. What a dreary way to end the album. <laughs> what a missed opportunity. I know this is your favorite field. But he's not giving me a reason to like him. But this garbage album release... And that's me being nice. <laughs> I just, I wasn't feeling it. I was already, you know, docking points for a debut album being all covers and just being lazy. And I'm giving him a little slack because I do think there was some pressure. Maybe just, maybe him on, like internally, on himself. But I don't know. I just felt like it. <laughs> because I know he's capable of so much more. And it just seemed lazy. But, um, what did you think about the final, the final song? Well, first of all, it's not garbage. <laughs> and like I said, I don't mind it being an album of covers, but I also said I'm being fair. And I am. My comment on this one is, it's a shame this is how the album ended. Because it is definitely one of the weaker songs. It was just really blah, and was a little bit of a downer to end the album. Yeah, Ringo Starr did not take me on a very sentimental journey. That's for sure. He failed in his attempt. He sank the ship. He crashed the plane. Whatever you want to say. Um, I like Ringo. I do. But he proved to me, at this time, he was definitely not the ta most talented of the, the Beatles. So, that was just my take from this. Because George Harrison, Paul McCartney, and John Lennon all put out better stuff than this. But, um, this is two stars for me. And that's me not being stingy. <laughs> what did you give it? I gave it three. Because, you know, I do like the songs. And there wasn't anything bad about it. There just wasn't anything great about it either. It is strictly middle of the road. Now the next album, 
is going to show my musical ignorance because it's hard, hard, hard to review something like this, ladies and gentlemen. This might have been better well suited to our other show, not because it's bad or just requires any kind of <laughs> blue language or anything like that. It's just because of what it is. This album came out March 30th, 1970, and this is Miles Davis, Bitches Brew. It's a double album, which I guess it is, if you want to call it that. It's experimental jazz, jazz fusion. Very, very, very influential album. I mean, this album led to... And I might have put this in my notes, but I just remembered. It led to a lot of the um, jazz rock. The jazz rock that came later was really influenced by this. And I don't know a lot about jazz. I do know who Miles Davis is. And I've listened to some stuff. But I've never sat down and listened to a whole Miles Davis album at one time. But, I mean, what do you know about Miles Davis? I like Miles Davis. You know, I've heard more of his stuff, more of the older stuff, but I've heard some of his you know, later 70s fusion stuff. It is a little difficult to review, but I was actually looking forward to it because I hadn't heard this album and I know it was very influential. But after listening, I can kind of see how it is sort of a bridge between jazz and funk rock. Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely interesting, but you've got to settle in, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. <laughs> because you're in for the, you're in for a ride. And like, I like long songs. I mean, a 15 minute song to me, okay, that's fine. Like kids probably couldn't listen to this. Like there's no way Alexis or like any teenager could sit down probably and be interested long enough to listen to 20 minutes let alone the longer song that comes later. But this first song, Pharaoh's Dance, is 20 minutes long. Okay, my notes are going to be brief. I mean, they don't, none of my notes are going to do any of these songs justice because I don't know enough about this genre. But I, mean, I like how the song has peaks and valleys. It has to have that at 20 minutes. So, but with 20 minutes long, it really didn't get boring. Yeah. For me, it didn't. It's definitely background music thing. It's not something I'm going to listen to all the time, but, I mean, it's good. It's really good. But, my goodness, 20 minutes. <laughs> what did you think about it? Yeah. You know, I don't like long songs, but I like jazz. So those two things were kind of at odds here, and I really wasn't sure what to think. I didn't get bored with it either, even though it is over 20 minutes long. But, and I like the sound of it in general. It was a little creepy sounding, but in a good way. But, about four and a half minutes in, it got really busy and chaotic. And you know how that affects me. It made me feel antsy and anxious. Fortunately, it only lasted for a minute or two, so it wasn't awful. And, in general, I liked it, other than that part. It's okay. I mean, I didn't learn how to walk like an Egyptian. But Pharaoh's dance is okay. It's not terrible. 
but 20 minutes wow <laughs> settle in ladies and gentlemen though because if you thought 20 minutes is long how about just a hair under 27 this one's 26 minutes and 59 seconds so we're gonna say it's 27 minutes long title track bitches brew I guess this is side two because the first song was so long that they couldn't put both of these on you know one vinyl so this is side two wow you know where do I start 27 minutes to say this is sprawling would be an understatement and I'm actually familiar with this song I've heard I didn't I don't guess I've heard 27 minutes of this song <laughs> but I've heard this song and um, Miles trumpet it comes through exactly how it needs to exactly when it needs to exactly how it needs to I mean he's a composer first and you know he plays more than just a trumpet but that's what he's known for and like I listen to music like this and this this is probably maybe I have played this in the background while I create because this is very stimulating for creativity in my opinion it, it, it um, without getting too deep into it I believe it helps with alpha wave production I really do some of this I believe they're hitting hitting you know something I don't know it's um, it's a very influential song and album and if not for the inclusion he's using electric instruments such as guitar and that's groundbreaking at the time because before like jazz really wasn't they weren't using a lot of electric guitar or or anything like that I believe he's using electric guitar and um, organ something there's something else that's electric in here as well and I, and I can't remember but that was not very you know he's really groundbreaking for doing something like that I don't know of anyone else at that time you know doing anything like that but what did you think about it yeah there's definitely a lot of musical talent here which is what leads to the experimentation he is a great trumpeter and I noticed on the personnel for this album Chick Corea played one of multiple pianos for these songs and that was interesting because I know him and I like his stuff too but I never realized he was part of Miles Davis's band the song for me wasn't as interesting as Pharaoh's Dance, but it also didn't have the chaos that made me feel anxious, so I can't really decide which one I like better. <laughs> they both have good points and have bad points. Now, side note, there's not going to be any playlist. <laughs> there's not going to be playlist songs from this album. So, I mean, there's only one song that could qualify this for, for length alone. That you would do it, but that's not the next song. <laughs> he 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 thought he would only make this next song 17 minutes and 17 and a half minutes, we'll say. And this is record two, and it's Spanish Key. This one has like almost a funk jazz fusion feel. I really like how the electric guitar plays off Miles on the trumpet, and everything's layered perfectly. And I actually like this one best of the three songs so far. The clarinet caught my ear in this song for some reason. I don't know why, but I really liked it too. And it's a fun song. What did you think about it? I didn't think it was bad, but for me it is actually number three of what we've listened to so far. 
it was too long, I thought. I didn't feel like there was enough special about it to warrant a 17 and a half minute song. And that's actually all I wrote. Not, none of these songs warrant the length that they're, they are. I'll I agree mean, maybe with that's that. my musical ignorance. Maybe that's my musical ignorance, but I think these guys were just improvising, and that's the way improvisational jazz and any of that, that's how it goes. You get what you get. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of great things have come out of that, so who am I to judge it? But, yeah, these songs could definitely be trimmed about half, and they'd still be fine. Per personal preference for me. Now, the next song, I can't believe they were able to fit two songs on one side of the album. It's John McLaughlin. Really bluesy feel with the tone of the guitar. It's odd that all these other songs have been so lengthy, but this one's 4 minutes, 22 seconds. And also, no Miles on trumpet in this one. And I don't know, maybe he was just the composer for this. You know, he did the composition, but I don't think Miles is in this. What did you think about it? It was a little bit catchier than the others, and I did appreciate that it was shorter. It was a nice break. You know, John McLaughlin was one of the uh, musicians in it. I can't remember what he played. It, guitar, piano, so I guess it's named for him. I'm assuming. I like Washed the tub bass. <laughs> I like the piano in this one though. It reminded <laughs> me of another song that I have not been able to put my finger on. So if anybody listening listens to this song and knows what it sounds like, please let us know because it's driving me crazy. It's probably an ACDC track because it really has that vibe. <laughs> Brian Johnson. Uh, the, the Brian Johnson era. It's really ahead of its time, ladies and gentlemen. John McLaughlin knew how to party. <laughs> and even in this day and age, he would do dirty deeds, but they wouldn't be cheap. So, now, um, I don't know. I like this track. If I had to put playlist, it could only be this one <laughs> because it's shorter. Now, side two, Miles runs the voodoo down. It has two songs on it as well, though. But this one, Miles runs the voodoo down. There's not much just I can say about it. It's more jazz fusion. And Miles knows exactly when to punctuate things with his trumpet. And I really like how the producer put different percussion in different... Like, they put different percussion in separate left and right channels in this track. And I wouldn't, wouldn't have noticed it if I were listening on just a, you know, just a home stereo or something like that. Maybe not. Unless it's hi-fi. But the, in my headphones, I could really hear it. And that was pretty interesting. And it helped with it being such a long song. I mean, it's not as long as some of the other ones. But that helped break things up a little bit. But um, the, the production on this album is really good. So if, if, you, you know, if you're only going to say that, if you don't like 26-minute songs, this and that, you think they're going to cut down. The production, you can't say anything bad about it. Nothing's been muddy. You know, everything, you can hear every instrument, for the most part, like you need to. And, of course, you're going to hear Miles coming through with the trumpet, sometimes a little too much. But, it's Miles, it's his, it's his thing, <laughs> so you're going to hear it. But what did you think about Miles Runs the Voodoo Down? There was a lot of funk in this one, especially with the bass, at least I thought so. Uh... I thought it was kind of funny. The bass actually reminded me a little bit of Peggy Lee's version of Fever, which of course is significantly older, while funk is, you know, 
pretty much a 70s thing. But you know, I did think that his trumpet was really good in this one. I could hear stuff that was reminiscent of voodoo to me. So the title made sense, which a lot of jazz songs, I don't really get the titles. It did get old in the second half. You know, it just wasn't different enough to be this long. It was pretty good, but it should have been about half as long as it actually was. Now the final song on the album. Not that many songs on here. We're going for uh, length. <laughs> These are the lengthy songs. But um, this song is Sanctuary. This one has a very melancholy feeling. Which was interesting because the other ones were kind of up. And this one wasn't for me. And this one, the only notes that I put, this has been an interesting experience. I've never sat down and listened to a whole Miles Davis album all the way through before. And I think it's extremely valuable to step outside of one's own comfort zone to actually get true growth. And it extends past music, obviously. But in this case, I feel like I did learn something listening to this album all the way through. I'm probably not going to do it again, but... Once again, a lot of this stuff is stuff that I'll put on in the background, and it is good for creativity, because, you know, you're not, it, it's hard to sit down, and, for anyone to sit down and focus on 27 minutes worth of song, and not drift some, but if it's in the background, while you're, even if you're cleaning house, or, heck, you could, I mean, you can put this on for dinner. This is dinner jazz and stuff like that. If you have a nice party, I'm not classy like that. And it's COVID now, guys, so we can't do that. But you can't be doing that. I mean, you can't. You can have a nice dinner at home with your family, though. Have some wine, some little vino. Ah, you don't want to listen to Sinatra? Just put on a little Miles. So I can see it for that. So I, I see the value in it, and I see how influential it is. And once again. Like I said, I, I, it's hard for me to rate this because I am ignorant about it in a lot of ways. But what did you think about Sanctuary? It was softer and calmer than the other ones on the album, at least at first. But there were weird chimey sounds in it that you know, kind of annoyed me. Maybe I just don't like chimes. I don't know. They didn't seem to fit. But then, after the first four and a half minutes, it got crazy, and I hated that. It was way too much. My anxiety came back full force. Thankfully, it was only for about 30 seconds, but that was enough. It ruined the whole song for me. Yeah, um, like I said, I'm just not well-versed in this type of music, so it was hard for me. Once it's Like, it's one of those... You know, example like we had with the, the soundtrack, we need the movie at the same time to really, truly rate it. Well, I probably need to know more about jazz and jazz fusion, experimental jazz, and, and stuff like that to truly appreciate this. But I tried not to let that bias my rating. I actually, I gave this four stars for the influence alone. Well, what did you give it? I only gave it two and a half. Not because I'm stingy, but because... I think we know. <laughs> I do appreciate how influential it is. And that's part of the reason it got two and a half, because I didn't really like the album. 
<laughs> but, you know, I do like Miles Davis. I just feel like his older stuff is better for me. I like it better. Yeah, I mean, I've heard better, but I don't know. Bitches Brew is is very good. Like I did go back and listen to parts of it because I did a little research. You know, try to get a little nerdy with it to learn a little bit about it because I, I'm just not a I'm not a huge jazz guy. So for that alone, there's two or three different things that they that they did production wise and. The, the way he included the electric instruments, it was it was pretty pretty cool. So I gave him a little bit of a little bit of a boost for that. And, he, and maybe maybe after listening to the album before it, maybe I felt like I needed to be a little bit uh, more generous. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. He don't was know. definitely talented, and I give him credit for that. Yeah, sometimes his trumpet comes through pretty harsh ladies and gentlemen though so be ready for that it's going to catch you by surprise like oh okay Miles chill out now actually the last song this week we're going to talk about the song the album we're going to talk about this week came out March 31st 1970 so we're ending March we're getting ready to start April soon but this is Three Dog Night it ain't easy I mean I've heard of Three Dog Night but I really wasn't that familiar with this this album, so to speak. Uh, this is their fourth studio album, and I just put a, a brief note because once again, this is one of those covers that I looked at because there's two covers on Wikipedia, so I was trying to figure out what it was about, and one of them one of them was risque, so that was my guess. They probably couldn't they, they probably couldn't produce it, but um, according to the lead singer Chuck Negron's book, so they have a a biography about Three Dog Night that I'm actually going to try to find and read. It's pretty interesting. It's called Three Dog Nightmare. Uh, the album's working title was The Wizards of Orange. And the cover, all the band members were wearing orange makeup and posing in the nude. So, uh, the, like the band's record company, ABC Dunhill, they rejected the original album title and cover art. And let me see here. The brief note I have. Uh, some of the configurations and their first greatest hits album it came out in 1971 Golden Biscuits it's um, packaged using that original cover photo so I guess they allowed it later on I, I don't know I didn't go and look at Golden Biscuits yet and I love the title Golden Biscuits too even though we don't cover greatest hits albums because we're going to cover most of these songs anyway so for the most part we, we try not to because a lot of times, especially right now, greatest hit songs are going to be from the 60s. And we're talking about 70s. So, but with that being said, I mean, what do you know about Three Dog Night? And I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> you probably do, because we grew up together. I like Three Dog Night. They are one of the bands that I have distinct memories of listening to when I was a kid. Not just Joy to the World, although, of course... Joy to the World stands out. It's a great song. But I also remember a few other ones, including Mama Told Me Not to Come, which is off this album. So I was looking Spoiler forward to Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Should have warned me. <laughs> well, if you didn't already know, then we have bigger problems. 
Well, yeah, sometimes I do have some. No, anyway, um, no, this was uh, this was an interesting album. I knew of Three Dog Night. I'm not well versed in this stuff. I mean, I did know a little bit more than obviously. Mama told me not to come and joy to the world, but I really didn't know how talented these guys were. I was actually a little surprised, but I'm going to get right into it. The first song, Woman, <laughs> I needed this after all the Miles Davis. <laughs> I, I love the Miles stuff, but I needed something, and I love how gritty the main vocals are. It's bluesy, and it's a great way to start an album, in my opinion. This was playlist for me. I love it. What did you think about it? It's 70s rock, and that is exactly what it sounds like. The music was good. The lyrics were a little meh, but it was really enjoyable. And I actually learned something when I was looking up this song. It was written by members of the band Free, and originally recorded by that band. There's several covers on this album, and that's because Three Dog Night didn't really do original material. Or at least not their own. They didn't write. They mostly did stuff that other people had written, and it wasn't all covers, but they did a lot of covers. I never knew that. Oh, no, yeah. They're, um, they're musical creators, but they're not <laughs> lyricists. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'll just say that. They took other people's stuff and made it good. <laughs> they like to rock. That's what it is. They're there to party. Yeah, that's all. It's, that's what they're about. Except for this next song, Cowboy. Once again, Kid Rock coming into play. I knew it. I knew he couldn't stay away with his scummy vibe. No, seriously. Um, this is more of a ballad. It's not bad, but I really didn't think it was anything special. But what did you think about it? It was, okay, this was the same song that was covered by Harry Nilsson on Nilsson Sings Newman, and that version was awful. This was better than that. But it was still a really boring song, though. And I did hate Kid Rock's part in it. It's just terrible, guys. Don't bother with it. <laughs> Don't listen to him. Nah, Kid, Kid Rock's version of Cowboy is better than Three Dog Nights Cowboy or Harry Nielsen Cowboy, and it's sad to say that. It's true, It's sad though. to say that, but it's true. Yeah, it is true. Hashtag Kid Rock is a scumbag. But there you go. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a ballad. It's more of a filler for me. I don't know. The next song, though, it ain't easy. The bluesy vibes back again, and possibly a different vocalist in this song. I know they use multiple vocalists <laughs> in their music and their harmonies and everything, but I really like this song too. And the harmonica put it over the top for me. When the harmonica came in, I just like harmonica, so they kind of swayed me with it. But what did you think about it? My first thought is, this album is all over the map in musical styles. First we had hard rock, and then we had a soft ballad, and now this one is country. It wasn't bad. It was not the best of their work. It was a little too country for me. 
and I'm saying that as someone who generally likes country music. <laughs> but it wasn't bad. No, they've done better, but they've done worse. Now, the next song, Out in the Country, <laughs> this one had an older feel. Uh, more 60s. Uh, the song got better as it went. It takes a little bit to get going. Um, I, I really like the vibe of the whole song. It's not as good as Woman or It Ain't Easy, in my opinion, but I still thought it was a good song. But what did you think about it? I thought it was catchy. It was a poppier song. Uh, I think I've heard it before, but I definitely don't know it as well as some of their other stuff, so I can't be sure. But I did like it. I believe it was one of the singles. I may be incorrect in that, but I, I think when I was looking, I think it was one of their singles, but I'm not familiar with it either. But yeah, it's it's a good song. It's not it's not a bad track. Uh, the next song, "Good Feeling," 1957, <laughs> and this one has that 50s doo wop style vocally. It's fun. It's a fun track, and it really did give me a good feeling. It made me smile, so it did what it set out to do. But what did you think about it? Yeah, they're continuing the musical journey all around the map, all different styles of music. I did feel like it was a catchy song, and I liked most of the vocals, but the main voice was just a little too shrill for my ears. That part wasn't enjoyable, so it did kind of drop the song for me. And see, I liked it. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I appreciate, appreciate that, he, that he tried. <laughs> yeah. He did. He That's tried. Hard to do. He tried, for sure. It was just a little that shrill. Is so, yeah, I mean that's hard to do though. I, I can't do it. Oh, definitely. I would, I would be more at, I'd be hit, more hitting the lower range. You too. You got that bass voice. Oh yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Now, yeah. <laughs> um, now side two starts with "Rock and Roll Widow," and I really like the energy this song started out with. The organ's especially nice, and the vocal harmonies came back out in this song for me. And this one's funky, and it's a really nice way to start side two. What did you think about it? <laughs> this one didn't grab me. I actually, my only note is I wouldn't have opened side two with this song. Not because it's bad, it's not. It's a fine song. It just didn't really grab me, so I felt like there were better tracks from them on this album that I probably would have used as an opener instead. Uh, maybe like the next song you're talking about. <laughs> maybe, but not song, necessarily. Most people know Three Dog Night by this song. If not, Jeremiah was a bullfrog, was a good friend of mine. But um, this is Mama Told Me Not to Come. And I put, I'm very familiar with this song. It's one of my favorite Three Dog Night songs. And it's probably most everyone's one of their favorite Three Dog Night songs. Uh, there's not much I can say about it other than if you've never heard it, go check it out. You'll probably like it. It's playlist. What did you think about it? Yeah. yeah. We listened to this song, the original, when we covered Randy Newman's 12 Songs album. And I mentioned at that time that I liked the Three Dog Night version better. That is definitely still true. It's a little funky. It's interesting. It's easy to sing along with. It's just a fun song. I don't know. Randy Newman could have been thrown right in the middle of this, though. 
It might have been alright. But not to sing it. I can see. I, no, no, let Randy Newman sing with these guys. Just <laughs> harmonize right in there. He could probably hit those high notes. He could have been in the, the 1957. Good Vibes 57. Randy Newman. With the shrill. No. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, obviously, there's not much you can say about Mama Telling Me Not to Come. If you've never heard it, I mean, you can go on Spotify and look look up Three Dog Night, and it's probably the second one. Yeah. It's probably the second result, other than Joy to the World. So, great song. The next song, uh, your song, it's a cover of an Elton John song. Obviously, Elton did it better. But this is a good cover. It's a good cover. I enjoyed it. What did you think about it? I love this song by Elton John. Like, really love it. So I didn't expect to like this cover. But I was impressed. It's not as good as Elton's. But it's shockingly close. And I did find out... This version was actually released before Elton John's. He was opening for Three Dog Night at the time, and his version didn't come out until April. But, you know, they, you know, he allowed them to cover his song, to release it first. They didn't release it as a single because they didn't kind of, they didn't want to steal his thunder. I think if they had, it probably would have been a hit for them as well. You know, because it is very similar to Elton John's. It's just a little faster and with more electric instruments. It is, but um, you can't improve on perfection. Hey. We're just going to throw that out there right now. <laughs> you know what a huge fan I am of Elton John. <laughs> oh, me too, and he's coming up soon, ladies and gentlemen. Next month? Yep, it's soon. <laughs> now, the last song on the album, Good Time Living. I really like the decision to end the album with a song full of energy. <laughs> The, the rock thing is coming is came back the hard rock uh, the cowbell coming through in the percussion just adds so much um, I don't love their vocal harmonies in this song as much as some of the other songs but they're still good and the instrumentation is what's fun in this song there's a lot of it's just a fun track and I put this playlist what did you think about it I liked it too it just sounds like a three dog night song it's catchy, it's fun. It was a little strange how it almost seemed like the song ended and then it came back almost like an encore. But that's not a complaint, it was just a note. It was a little odd. Whatever. They're, a, they're an interesting band. I enjoyed it. Yep, they are. Um, and I know they have... They have, I don't know how many more albums. Quite a few albums, so... So, we're, you know, we're gonna have... We're going to have a little bit more Three Dog Night in our life this year, I believe. I believe in 70. I'm not sure. We, we just, we heard, you know, the greatest hits came out in 71. But I think they have another album that came out in 70, like later in December maybe or something. Later on. I don't know. I guess I'll just have to wait and see. But this, um, it's a good album. It's not a great album. I mean, Mama Told Me Not To Come On It gives it a half star already. But for me, this is three and a half stars. What did you give it? I gave it four. You know, most of the songs I enjoyed. You know, there were some that were not as good as others, but in general, I enjoyed listening to the album. And there's definitely songs on it that I'm going to listen to it again. So, it's a four. Yeah. 
yeah well like I say maybe I was stingy in that one I don't know <laughs> I will say I was between three and a half and four and I decided to bump it up yeah I mean I invite everyone to go check out I mean all this stuff really that we're listening to but I think you'll probably get more enjoyment out of this three dog night than say you would miles yeah. that's not to say it's value not valuable but you're probably going to be able to just it's it's more easily digestible so to speak like you can pull up pull up some three dog night and just have fun yeah so yeah it's listener friendly yeah it is and like i said that is our last album this week it's been a good week um we've we haven't had any really just bad albums this week. No She Who Not Shall Not Be Named. No Harry Nilsson. No Randy Newman. No Harry Nilsson sings Randy Newman. You know. Thank goodness. I'm sure everyone out there is happy about that too. Except for the one person. Um, oh, if you're listening, sir, I can't remember your name. Um, he was really excited that we were covering Nilsson. No, I believe it was it was a lady believe that was a lady and i'm sorry that i can't remember your name (laughs) ma'am if you're listening but uh i'm sorry you may not be listening anymore after i trashed nielsen so badly hey i do like (laughs) harry nielsen that just wasn't a great offering from him harry nielsen didn't like harry nielsen when he did all that (laughs) but this isn't the harry nielsen podcast this is uh corn chronicles and actually I invite everyone, if you haven't checked it out yet, go check out our other show. If you don't mind a little bit of saltiness. <laughs> That's Cord Chronicles off the record. Amy cusses like a sailor. Oh, I yeah. try to hold it together. I try to keep it together. Don't listen. You can't run everybody off. She's like, oh, all saying the A word and the S word and all that stuff. All said, I mean, she said heck the other day. It was insane. I had to. I had to uh, actually put the hand hammer down on that one. I had to censor it. So yeah, I've even been known to say "crap" every now and then. I'm oh, sorry. Come on. I'm sorry. I forgot. This is the clean show. No jokes aside, though. Um, everyone, check out Chord Chronicles off the record. We just released an episode this last week. You know, it's it's not a week old yet. And we'll have another episode coming out in a couple days. And I was really excited for the second week of music. Maybe more so than my first week. So Yeah, there's I'm a reason gonna, for that. I'm not Well <laughs> I don't know. I guess I could I, I will run through the the thing all the uh, people that you're gonna hear on the next Gord Chronicle off the record from us, from me anyway. Uh, I'm gonna talk about Redbone. Their uh, debut, self-titled, single solo album or solo album, debut album, and it's Redbone. I'm going to talk about John Cale's Vintage Violence, Kenny Rogers and First Edition Something's Burning, and Eric Burden and War. Eric Burden declares war, and I'm not going to give it away, ladies and gentlemen. But there's some good stuff, and there's some. I'm not going to give it away, so. <laughs> and I get to talk and about a bunch know. of people that you've never heard of. <laughs> yeah, there's some interesting ones on there. Um, I'm not going to run through them. I'm going to just let everyone wait and hear that. But next week on our Chord Chronicles show, oh, 
we have some really exciting stuff coming up. Yay. We have James Brown. James Brown, Dr. John, Elton John, Woo. <laughs> Diana Ross and the Supremes, and Linda Ronstadt. So it's actually a shorter week for us because we usually average six to seven albums, and this is five. So maybe we'll get to talk a little bit more about Elton, but Elton's great. Or James so Brown. I'm really excited. Well, I'm really excited for next week because, well, James Brown, obviously, but just Elton John. I, I just love. Yeah. <laughs> I love Elton John. He's one of my favorite artists. Yeah. And you got Diana Ross and the Supremes, but the album is Farewell, so that may be their, their, you know, their final album. So that I don't know. Yeah. But I guess, well, I guess we'll find out next week. And I really like Doctor well John too. So. I don't even. I know who Doctor John is, but I don't know what. You know, I don't remember what Dr. John is, is known for. So, you know, I'm drawing a blank on that one. It's probably some Beatles crap that you like, isn't it? No. Not exactly. <laughs> but I'm not going to spoil it for you. <laughs> I'm just going to wait and let you listen to it. No, it's, but it has been a, a really great week. I really enjoyed listening to like all the stuff that we had even Zabriskie and I can't wait to actually you know go and check out the movie I'm going to try to watch Zabriskie Point sometime this weekend and you know we'll see if I, we'll see if I can find a copy of it who knows <laughs> if anyone out there knows where I can find a copy of it let me know I may I may wish that you hadn't later <laughs> on <laughs> but we won't know until we watch it we won't know. With that being said, I look at the clock and it's getting late. It's about that time. So I hope everyone's had a nice week. And I hope everyone has a nice, happy, safe, fun, music-filled week. And like I always say, please, 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 wear your mask and stay away from me. <laughs>